In this episode, Luis Altazan is our guest. Luis is president of Agco, an automotive service repair shop located in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Lewis shares his conversations with Dr. Deming and the importance of taking a long-term approach to business. Hi, this is Trip Babbitt of the Deming Institute podcast. My guest today is Lewis Altizan, who is president of Agco Automotive Service. Welcome, Lewis. Good morning, Trip. How are you today? I'm doing well. Let's start with the the usual question. Uh, tell us first of all a little bit about Agco and what it does, and and what else you'd like to share. Yeah, we're a large automotive repair shop specializing in domestic and Asian vehicles, and we do all sorts of auto repair, pretty much full service on the models that we serve. Uh, I've been in business since 1974, so kind of a mature company. Okay. Been with the Deming philosophy since probably 1984, so we've had it in place for quite a while where it's paying some pretty good dividends for us. And this is general repairs? You repair all types of cars then? Uh, uh, anything Asian or domestic. You mentioned that and you came across the Deming philosophy in 1984. Why don't you share a little bit about that? Well, we were doing, we started out in business 1974, so we've been in business about 10 years, and we were doing well, I suppose, relative to our competition. Our quality was probably as good as most of the other folks around, uh, didn't have a lot of problems, probably making about the same amount of money as most of the guys around. But I could sense that something was really not the way that it might be. And I had tinkered around with the thoughts of improving quality, uh, not only in my service, but in the industry in general. I had uh, experimented with some of the philosophies that were around at the time, and uh, Duran and uh, Peters and uh, Crosby and some of those, but nothing really, really felt cohesive to me. Mm-hmm. And that's when I ran across Dr. Deming. I actually saw the program, If Japan Can, Why Can't We, which okay. I think most people have seen. Uh, and when I heard Dr. Deming explain his philosophy, it just really hit home with me. So what I did is to get on the phone and just gave him a call, and he actually answered his own phone. I was kind of surprised. <laughs> uh, was uh, nice enough to talk with me a bit, told him what we were doing, where I was, and he made some suggestions, some reading material, which I read. Uh, also made some suggestions of uh, some classes I might attend, which I followed him up on that. And uh, from there, we just sort of snowballed. Uh, once I got involved with the philosophy, I just couldn't really get enough. So I more or less got absorbed with it for quite a while. And uh, I guess the rest is history. Uh, not not a very quick thing to put into place, but certainly an extremely effective thing. Okay. And and just out of curiosity, what what were the books, do you remember, that he asked you to read? Well, first, of course, was out of the crisis. This mm-hmm. was before the new economics came out. And some other books on general statistics, some books on the theory of knowledge, uh, stuff like that. Okay. Uh, so you were a little shocked then when he, he picked up his phone. I had the same experience. I was. <laughs> so uh, I, 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 I understand your, uh, how surprised you would have been. So mm-hmm. as you're reading these books and you're learning a little bit about the philosophy, what type of aha moments did you have? Were you reading it just makes sense to you, or were there things that really stood out in your mind where you said, boy, we really aren't doing that, and, and boy, that's, that's going to be a real challenge, but what, what kind of <laughs> opened your brain when you started to read these things? 
Well, I had to read Out of the Crisis three times okay. <laughs> before I got it. First time was you know, a blur. Second time, I got a bit more. Third time, I think I started to comprehend it. My background was technical. I came from the technical side of the field, and I had little management experience at that time. So I actually, I think, identified with it pretty well, more so than some people have been brought up through the management side. Uh, most of the things that Deming was saying I could identify with because I'd been on the shop floor. I'd done the work myself. So I guess that's maybe why it really uh, hit home with me. That and auto repair is basically finding root cause. If you don't find the root cause, the problem is going to come back. You can't just go in and make a repair. And so this sort of went to the same exact type of philosophy. So that's why it, it just made a, a, a big impact with me. I guess the biggest aha moment for me was realizing that I was the problem. Ah, okay. All right. How did you take that? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I had at that point been in business about 10 years and probably went through five uh, groups of staff. And at some, I kind of knew in the back of my mind, I didn't get five complete shops full of bad people. So something else is going wrong or something mm. that's remaining constant. And once I started reading Deming and understanding that I was a problem, that's when things really started to change for me. Uh, the first thing I did is call a shop meeting, and I actually apologized to everyone there. I mean, sincerely. And there wasn't a dry eye in the house because everybody kind of embraced. And, and I said, you guys, I'm sorry. And and everything I did, I didn't do out of mouth. I did out of ignorance. Mm. And I promise you that this is going to change. And after that, things started to really get a lot better. Of course, it took years to actually implement it to the point I wanted it to be, but we started working on uh, the 14 points pretty much immediately to the degree we could, and we'd concentrate on one for a while, and then we felt we had it sort of under control. We'd move to another and went through all 14 and started again and started again, you know, doing PDSAs. And, uh, one of those things that as it progresses, it just seems to get a little easier uh, as you go along. But that's kind of the way we implemented it. <laughs> okay. And uh, um, so were there certain challenges associated with why you were implementing? Were there things that either the people push back on, your workers push back on, or you just couldn't get your mind wrapped around it enough that, uh, you know, you just you had to kind of fight through it? Or, or is there anything like that that stands out in your mind? Clearly, it was, a, it was a challenge because my understanding was not where it needed to be. And so the best that I could do is the best that I knew how to do. So some of the things we did had to be redone. And I made changes based on what I felt the philosophy was saying. And later on, when I was able to actually attend some of Dr. Deming's lectures and, and study with him a little more and get more familiar, I could say, well, this is not what he really intended by this. And so we would go in and do other things. For instance, one of the first things we implemented was a scheduling system so that we could start to deliver cars more along the, the guidelines when promised. And what I did first is I put numbers on the scheduling system all the time, which made perfect sense to me. It's a schedule, so all the numbers should be there. But what I didn't realize is I was actually enforcing a quota on people. Uh. Uh, and so that didn't immediately become clear to me, but later on, as I thought it through, I realized that's what I was doing. So the more modern schedules that we have do not have numbers on it. It just has the number of jobs listed one after the other. And our philosophy is that a man works on the car until he is satisfied he's done the best job he can. Okay. And there's no time constraint on that. 
other than he's expected to do it as quickly as possible, naturally, because time is money, but there is no time constraint. If he needs more time, he takes more time. Yeah. And it's my job to be sure the car is delivered. So that means if I have to reassign work or whatever I have to do to make the schedule come out at the end of the day, is my responsibility, not the man on the floor. It's not his responsibility to worry about that. It's my job to make sure that I am optimizing his abilities and uh, putting enough work down to keep him busy without overwhelming him. Okay. So it takes a familiar hour with each of your people. Uh, and that's how that was just one of the things that sort of stood out in my mind that I was doing wrong. And uh, once we changed that, I noticed a lot less of the problems associated with quota systems. Okay. Uh, and I, so, and you're bringing this up and, and I got to ask this question, Lewis, because mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the automotive repair industry is notoriously, mm-hmm. uh, distrusted. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, 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 and I, I just have to ask the question, you know, you've seen some of these stories in the past wheel, mm-hmm. like Sears overcharging, those types of things. And it's certainly, right. you know, being in the repair business and, and as technical as it is, it's really mm-hmm. easy to, you know, pull the wool over uh, a customer's eyes because, right. you know, it, they just don't know. They wouldn't know. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so kind of taking on this philosophy, uh, I, I, you know, I mean, there, there's, there's almost a righteous thing associated with it because you're, you know, a lot of it's based around uh, doing what's right for the customer. Uh, right. You know, and, and what you're doing. Did you did you find yourself actually losing revenue? You know, because maybe your practices, I don't know what your practices were like before. And I don't want to make any assumptions. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if we are like, you know, many other shops, you know, well, I need to get a little bit more money this month, you know, uh, just kind of kick it up a gear, you know. Uh, and, yeah. uh, you know, oh, well, it's on the borderline, but we'll just tell them that they need to get their brakes repaired. Yeah, actually, just the opposite. And, you know, one thing that you learn as you start to study deeming, everything is long-term. You have to think long-term. Mm-hmm. And that little bit extra you might uh, dishonestly charge someone is going to come back to haunt you because it's going to destroy the trust. And the trust is the big thing. I've got third-generation customers. You know, I worked on the grandfather's car, then I worked on the son's car, now I'm working on the grandson's car. Mm-hmm. Uh, folks that have been with me 30 years and more. And you can't get to that level by doing the kinds of things that you mentioned. What I did... First off is I saw in the industry what drives this, because I don't think there are any more dishonest people in the automotive industry than any other industry. I mean, Mm -hmm. people are people, and so you have the same percentages in every uh, occupation that may or may not be dishonest. So something is driving this, and the prevailing way of rewarding people in the automotive business was a method called flat rate. Mm-hmm. which is they get a commission based on what they do. Okay. And the way that works is a guidebook, which tells you how long it should take. And so they get paid based on that. And if they can do the job in half that time, they still get paid the full amount. Now, if they consequently want to take their time and do the job maybe a little better, they're all still going to get that amount. Mm-hmm. So the incentive is to rush through every single job. And that's inherent throughout the entire industry. Okay. The service writer, the guy who's selling the work and all that. So the very first thing that I had to implement is to remove everyone from any type of incentive or flat rate pay. So what we did, because that was where everyone in the industry was paid at that time, uh, there was a certain amount of distrust. Uh, average employee, you say, look, I'm going to take you off all these incentives. What's going to come to his mind? Well, you're doing this to save money. So what we did is we took everyone's W-2 forms. We averaged them out for the last two years. And I said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to pay you what you made for the last two years plus 10% and I'm going to pay you on salary. Okay. So that kind of got their attention. Mm-hmm. And 
over the years, uh, it's worked out extremely well. There are still a lot of shops that are flat rate, still a lot of shops that are commissioned. There are some shops now that are salaried. I think we were probably one of the first. But everyone in our facility is paid a salary. There, no, one is ba- no one's income is based on what they sell. Uh, so that removes a lot of temptation to do those sorts of things, I think. Uh, the second part of that is you have to think very, very long term. Okay. You know, you have to think of the trust factor. You have to think of building relationships with customers. And you don't want to destroy all that over some little uh, minor thing that you might do. Uh, and, you know, trust is one of the things that it takes a lifetime to build, but it only takes a second to destroy. Mm-hmm. And uh, let me ask this about the, you know, when you started to move away from the this flat rate, did, did you have mm-hmm. workers leave or, or push back on it saying, you know, no, I want to control my own uh, you know, wage and, and I like it, the, the way the flat rate worked? Or was yeah. it really that co- type of conversation? Yes, we did lose a few people over it. Uh, some guys had been working that way for many, many, many years. and They just weren't going to uh, accept otherwise. Uh, what I ended up doing is that I kept the core group uh, of guys that I had. I think I was able to convince them, so maybe there's more trust between them and I. And then as we started to build new people, uh, those who were attracted to our system are the ones that we were able to obtain. Uh, folks who weren't, because you're being perfectly honest with the guy when you're hiring, you're telling him the way you're working. If he's not interested, he's not coming. Uh, the ones who are attracted to that pay system, which they are, uh, mostly the guys who want to take their time, who want to have joy in their work, they're going to be attracted to that because they don't like having to rush through the job. They don't like selling things that to make money. Mm-hmm. Um, ironically, I found that most auto technicians are extremely honest. Uh, there are probably some shop owners out there who are not what they should be, but uh, I find most of the guys who actually do the work are exceedingly honest group of people. So, so, and so, so okay. those guys really did like it. They embraced it, and uh, that's actually one of our key hiring points now when we do hire people it's one of the things they say that they do come to us for oh okay wow so it's it's actually become a differentiator and getting maybe the best people it has okay it has. that's interesting um well it, then you truly saw where the system dictates kind of the way the people think because if they had commissions then they're going to you know behave in such a manner in order to get the commissions or, or use the flat rate to their advantage um, well, that's right. yeah that, that that's interesting so uh let, let me ask you this it, it, are there others since you've started doing this you've been doing this for quite a while now mm-hmm. are yeah. there other uh people that kind of followed your lead in your industry not a great deal. I guess like industry in general, there's a lot of interest when people see that you are growing at a pretty much exponential rate, uh, they're going to be interested. And when they see that you're retaining your employees for a long period of time, they're going to be interested. So I do get a lot of interest, but generally when you start explaining it to them, what they want to do is a cafeteria-type plan. In other words, yeah, well, this and this makes sense, but eh, that uh, stuff about no reviews, that, that's not going to work. Yeah, 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 where I live, that's not going to work, or the people I've got. And so they start taking a cafeteria-type approach. They try to apply some of the things and not others, and it generally is falling apart. You know, it's, it's a cohesive system that Dr. Deming designed, and it all works together. Right. You can't decide that you're not going to do this, but you're going to do this. And, you know, well, I'm, I'm going to still do inspection and I'm going to still do performance appraisals, but I'm not going to do this and this and this. It, it's, it's basically not going to work that way. 
Right. Yeah. I, I think, they, they, well, and many people approach it that way, right? Because there are just things that are too big for them to be able to change. And let's say in a large organization, especially. Um, That's right. Right. There, there's certain things like, let's say, performance appraisals. I mean, they're in the system, then they don't necessarily have control over changing the, those types well, of things. Well, that's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, unless you're the CEO of the company, you, you can't make those kinds of changes. And fortunately, in my case, because I was the owner, you know, it's not a democracy, it's an absolute monarchy, <laughs> which is an advantage and a disadvantage. But if I am 100% sold on this philosophy and I say this is how it's going to be, I don't have to ask to a board of directors. I don't have to ask to voters. I don't have to answer to a lot of other people who may or may not be on board with me. Right. So I was able to implement things and push things through, not like trying to buck a board of directors right. where they're not sold and you are. Okay. Let's just pretend for a minute. If 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 someone did come from you know another auto search shop in in, in even another city, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and they came to you and they said, "Hey, uh, Lewis, uh, what recommendations might you have for me in order to get started in this? I'm really interested in it. What, what mm-hmm. would you what would you recommend for them?" Well, generally, I give them a, a suggested reading list that I've compiled over the years, and if they make it through the reading list then I know they probably are more interested than, than the average because most people get about halfway through the first book, and that's as far as they're going. From there, you know, I'll work with them to whatever degree they, they want to work with me. Not that I'm an expert, but I have certainly been through it. And, you know, I've, over the years, I guess, I've probably talked to 40 or 50 other shops, and some of them are probably still doing some work towards it. I don't think they've gotten as far as they might have. But, again, it's it's a difficult philosophy to to employ, and especially when you're in an industry where it's so foreign to your industry. Right. So you would. So one of the books, obviously, you would recommend them for them to read would be Out of the Crisis. And, and I'm yeah, guessing. And go ahead. That and New Economics, uh-huh. but those I actually put a little further down the the list. There's oh. some books that have been written about uh, Dr. Deming's philosophy that I find are a little bit easier to understand okay. than some of the stuff that Dr. Deming wrote himself and. If you can get a little bit of base understanding, I find that that uh, makes the other stuff a little easier to read and, and, and to comprehend. Okay. And, and what are those? What, what are a couple of those that you have, have folks look at? I knew you would ask me that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I would have to pull up my Okay, list that's all right. All right. One was, all right. There's, a, there's an old <laughs> book called uh, SPC at the Esquire Club. Okay. And uh, yeah. it's just a simple little book about quality management, and that's one that I always have them read first off. Okay. Uh, Peter Schultz had done some stuff that I felt was very, very good uh, that introduces the philosophy, uh, maybe on a little simpler level than what Dr. Deming was talking. And, you know, I can could, I could look up the list for you, but uh, oh, that's right. I, I don't have it in front of me. That, that, that's okay. Um, and, and so that's how you would, in essence, kind of get them started and just see see what happens from there, I guess, since mm-hmm. you've actually uh, approached it this way uh, before. Okay, very good. Um, and and tell us a little bit about your uh, podcast. I did meant to ask that a little bit earlier, and uh, I, I've listened to two or three episodes. I can't say I've listened to from beginning to end, but I wanted to mm-hmm. get a sense of what they're about because you are talking about you know real automotive problems, like the one I listened to that just just came out was about air conditioning mm-hmm. units. Um, yes, sir. What's the purpose of doing that, and uh, uh, how does that how does that help your customer base? Well, that actually gets our message out pretty well because 
we have sort of a complicated message to convey. It's not something you could do in a 30-second commercial. It's not something you could do in a 60-second commercial. But what the show does is allows me to uh, give out my philosophy and tell a lot. And while we are basically just talking about auto repair type problems, if you notice, if you listen to the show any amount, we always put in a good deal of philosophy between uh, between the stuff where a customer who's listened for a period of time is going to be basically, he's going to realize we're doing some things different here. Uh, we, we try to have different methods of doing things, and we, we can explain all that in an hour where we couldn't do that in a yellow page advertisement or a radio advertisement. So for us, that's our primary means of getting the message out to our customer base. Okay. okay. Do you, do you actually have, uh, customers? Do you, do you, like when you're talking to them, oh, you can learn a little bit more. You want to learn a little bit more about what we're doing with your car. Listen to this episode type of thing when, when they come in or, or is it just more out there for people to pick up on? Yeah. I mean, the show has been on for 23 years locally. Mm -hmm. I've only had the podcast for four or five years, but uh, we've been doing it locally for 23 years. So it's a pretty popular local show. And I'd say the majority of our customers are probably aware of it already. A lot of them listen, but we generally refer them to the website if uh, they need more information because almost everything we talk about is also listed on our website. Okay. Okay. All right. Very good. Um, so uh, is there anything that you wish that I uh, would have asked? Or is there any correction that you'd like to make about anything that we've talked about? Hmm. I think we pretty well covered it. It's just for folks who are interested in the philosophy, you, I remember – speaking uh, with Dr. Deming, or I was listening, actually, he was speaking with someone else, and someone asked him how long the philosophy takes to implement, and he said, well, it depends. He says, if, if I'm in the West, I'll say a long time, about 20 years. If I'm in the East, I'll say not long at all, about 20 years. <laughs> so, <laughs> And that just kind of stuck with me. Uh, but you can probably expect to start seeing some improvements almost immediately, but the real uh, the real benefits are going to probably come 20 years down the road because most people are going to take that long to really get everything in place and get it all fully implemented. And, you know, can a company do okay without dimming? Yeah, probably so if the market's right. But that company may have done much better with dimming. And can a dimming company not do very well? Yes, probably so. But that company may have done not as well as they did without it. It's just a good cohesive philosophy that's going to take you through hard times, good times. And ironically, in our experience, the worse the financial economy becomes, the better our business becomes with this because we're able to control our costs, which makes us cost effective. We're able to get good results, which people measure you by. And uh, it's just been a wonderful thing for us. I mean, we took our company from, I guess, about a $300,000 a year company to a $2.5 million a year company. Uh, with the philosophy. Oh wow! Okay, that that's quite a that's quite a that's quite a jump. <laughs> that, I assume that didn't happen all at once. No, not all at once. <laughs> okay, all right, very good. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, well, Louis Altazan, we appreciate you sharing your time today and telling us a little bit about Agco and your Deming journey. Well, great. I really appreciate the opportunity. Hi, this is Trip Babbitt. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please contact me with comments or suggestions at trip, T-R-I-P-P, at Deming.org or through our Twitter account, at Deming Podcast. We are always looking for new guests to share their Deming story.